morning. Wow. So a lot of you guys have had that sickness and is, are still surviving, huh? You're okay. You're back. Wow. I, I think our panis section over there is getting bigger, way bigger. <laughs> but that's a blessing. Good to see you, Sarah, Stephen, and Stacy. Good to see all of you guys. And um, we have a we have a brother here. Totally surprised me out of the blue, out of the blue. Um, uh, I, I turned around, shook his hand, and his face looked familiar. And I said, uh, hey, uh, have I met you before? He said, yeah, you've met me in India. <laughs> so um, this is Stephen, Stephen Alvord. Uh, you guys can say hi to Stephen. Uh, he is the son of uh, Bruce Alvord. And he, uh, he and his family, they actually saw the Taj Mahal. And, and they came down to PTS. Uh, was it during monsoon or was it? hot it was it was it was deadly summer right we were, we're <laughs> oh okay. so he knows and we were in the we were in our uh our school in the jungle i call it and he set up all of our computer systems there and uh it was really great and they they saw that our computer systems there were uh really um really atrocious and they just while they were there, they said they asked a bunch of their supporters if they could support the work there, and they were able to get money, buy computers, hook them up within a week's time. And uh, we were just uh, really amazed. It really benefited the students out there. And so we're, we're glad. He, he, uh, um, as when he walked in, and I was headed to the restroom, I go, you could tell now by the cuts and the way guys walk. Oh, that guy's a Marine. I can smell it, right? <laughs> but he's, um, we're glad he's here. He's just on, on Camp Pendleton. So yeah, make sure to welcome him and uh, we our bigger and growing Panish contingent over there. Um, would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Andre was telling me about a sad, sad story there's a family in our old neighborhood, and Andre and I know this family. Um, their place is about a few houses down from where Chinette lives. Um, they don't know Christ. We've been trying to share the gospel with them. Um, Andre works with the father. Uh, I see the sons hang out on the corner um, all the time. And, you know, just, I don't know how else to say, they just hang out and smoke weed all day, just right out front. Um, in their cars, hanging out. They don't work. They're in trouble with the law at times. I remember uh, that the, their mom or his wife, uh, she's lost her mind when her sister died. Uh, so sometimes I, I was going to church at CBC in Vallejo, and she ran out, and I just saw her wailing on one of the neighbors, knowing that she's kind of just lost her mind and I came outside to see if I could help and I shouted at her son and he had to gather his mom still swinging. Sometimes uh, they made some enemies and uh, as I was driving by, Andre told me they got shot up, their house got shot up. And this is again about four houses down from where Jeanette lives and we we were staying at her, her mom's house at the time. Uh, with our kids. Uh, 
I walked out there to try and build a relationship. And I asked them, you know, God, I, I just told them, God protected you. And they showed me the bullet holes in the car because uh, they shot at them and it hit their car and everything. I think the sad part of it is, is um, the dad who is reasonably there, he can hardly keep it together. He has to go to work. His sons don't work. They just hang out. His wife is losing his mind. His mom is dying, right? And then we just find out that I get this text from Andre that he's diagnosed with bladder cancer, and he's going to die in six months. That's what the doctor said. And without Christ, he's going to, he and his whole family, without Christ, because there's only one sacrifice, one salvation, Without Christ, he and his whole family are going to spend eternity in hell. And I, I, think, I, I say it this way because we have to have the kind of perspective, the kind of eyes that God has. Okay. And uh, yeah, I tell this sad story, but you know what? If I just even imagine another story, a nice family in Carlsbad, dad who has a good job, mom who has a great job, they have great family vacations. They always spend time together involved in the community without Christ. They are going the same place that this family is going because they've lived a life apart from him and his righteousness and his gift of salvation. What we want to talk about today is man's biggest problem. If you have the notes, I think I passed some notes. You might even see it digitally on that googly link, uh, you can kind of follow through. Uh, and the reason why, part a good reason why I want you to have these notes is because today is going to be very difficult. Okay, today is going to be something I don't necessarily like preaching. Okay, I don't like to preach about the sin of man, but we have to go deep today. Okay, and the reason why we have to go deep is that's the way God does His surgery. And God has told us about who we are, our natures, apart from Christ, so that we would celebrate what Christ has done in salvation. Okay? Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10, and we're only going to concentrate on verses 1 to 3 today. And this is going to be the bad news. We know about the good news in the Bible, right? The good news is the gospel. Today we're going to talk about the bad news. The bad news. In Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. In this section of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you could divide it into two further sections. And the first section really is bad news. The second section is good news. If you notice here in verses 1 to 3, he talks about our deadness. He talks about our sin. He talks about man's biggest problem. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he changes and he says, but God, if you notice there. The transition there is now he's going to talk about the salvation by which God gives to sinful man. See, God gave this passage, particularly verses 1 to 3. God gave this passage this morning to amaze you just how deep his love is for a sinner like you. Okay. This passage sometimes can be preached in a different way. It can be preached so that he just beats up people or manipulate people by telling them how evil and how bad they are. That's not the whole point of the text. you got to read all the way to verse 10, right? The whole point of the text by which God gives us is not to sit in your squalor and to sit in your sin and to sit in the mud. The whole reason why God gives this is so that you can have a backdrop of what God has done. In order for you to know the good news, you got to know the bad news. In order for you to know what salvation is, you got to know what God saved you from and to know it well and to be acquainted with it. Because what happens is, if you really and truly understand the plight of man, the problem of man, which is sin, if you do understand it, and you understand how God rescues people in history, in time, but God, right? He made you alive and he rescued you. You will explode with worship. You can't help it. Because I see myself in the passage. Now, there are two very important dimensions as we go deep. There are two very important dimensions of man's deadness, man's sinfulness, that you must comprehend to fully value God's love and salvation. The first dimension in speaking about man's utter sinfulness is the sin as a lifestyle. Notice here, the first point I'm going to say, verses 1 and 2, is you did wrong. Notice Paul, he doesn't pull any punches, okay? He doesn't say, oh, you know, people do wrong or, you know, society does wrong. He talks to the believers the Ephesian believers, and he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You did wrong. And this, if you're following along in the notes, is sin as a lifestyle. Sin as a lifestyle. Notice he says in verse 1 and 2, you were dead in your trespasses in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. He says you are dead. The Bible speaks of man being spiritually dead apart from Christ. This means that he has no connection with God. He cannot please God. He cannot uh, obey God. He cannot honor God rightly in his heart, in his motives. He is separate from God. 
The word there for trespasses means to deviate and to go in the wrong direction. I mean, I, I hate to use a popular term, but you look here, look. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then it says in which you formerly walked. Believers, I mean, excuse me, those who don't know Christ are really the walking dead, aren't they? Right? That's, this is the real walking dead, isn't it? Isn't it? Right? And this is how we ought to see folks. Apart from Christ, they're walking around dead. You were walking around dead until God caused you to be alive. And now he says this. So the word there for trespass means to deviate or to go in a wrong direction. The word there for sins means to miss a mark. God's standard of holiness, you never make it. It's like if there's a, if there's a river two miles long and I try to jump across it and I don't make it, I might go farther than my daughter might jump. But we still, never, no one ever makes it. We keep missing the mark. And this is what sin is. Okay? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead in your trespasses and sins. I remember when we were, um, you, you were there. I, I don't know if you met him. Our cook, James. Probably, I don't know if you were there at the time when he was alive. But the Bible describes people dead. No life. No spiritual growth can occur. No, you can't bring yourself out of death. Okay? When I was, we were in India, I remember uh, as I drove up, it was raining, and the students ran to me, and they said, uh, they said, Professor, Professor, James is not breathing. And I threw the, my bag down, I ran down, and uh, our cook was in his really sad kind of cabin there. Um, he was lying down. I could see that he already soiled himself. And I touched his skin. It was already cold. The color came away from his face. And uh, as soon as I saw him, I tried CPR. But even as I put my lips on his, I felt the coldness on my lips. I knew it was a, a lost cause. I kept pushing and nothing was happening and you know what tried and I tried and I tried and I tried and I couldn't bring any life you understand I couldn't do anything then the the EMTs came and they tried and they tried they couldn't do anything it was too late why he was dead and it's not a matter of how much I pump his chest it's not a matter of how much I even Talk to him. Hey, James, are you there? Come back to us. It's not a matter of how I try and open his eyes. There is absolutely nothing I can do. God says that folks apart from Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. It's not going to be the amount of even truth that's exposed to them. It's not even education or how much money you can pour into society. You can't change people God has to make them alive he says you did wrong you sin as a lifestyle and it, what it's talking about is you were dead it talks about that you lived your life in such a way that your decisions 
and your yearnings and your desires were always that which was apart from God. Now, people mistake what this means. They think that, oh, you're teaching, you're teaching that man is like some kind of slothering, slavering, saliva dripping guy with fangs coming out, wanting to kill everybody and drink blood. That is just not the case, Angelo. That's not what we're saying. We're saying this, in any kind of relationship to God, you are dead. You're dead. We've got to face that reality. It says here, in which you formerly walked. Uh, the word there means formerly walked, means to according to the course of this age. Okay, According to the course of this age. You could also call it the spirit of this age, the morals of this age. They believe this world and mankind's beliefs and thoughts are most important. In fact, they adopt what the world thinks. Okay. Its morals, its standards. Sure, you are your own boss. Sure, you could sleep with whoever you want to. Sure, you could live any way you want to. Sure, you can do this. It doesn't matter. You could believe anything you want to. Just don't put your religion on me because that would be immoral on you. That is how the world thinks. That's the spirit of the age. And that's how you used to walk. I remember even for myself, when I had a relative try and share the gospel, I didn't want, I knew it to be even true, but I didn't want someone to tell me what to do. I didn't want someone over me. I didn't want to be held accountable. Why? Because I was walking in the spirit of this age, which means man is the final arbiter of how he is to live his life. Man is the final pilot of his own soul and his own destiny. Man, that is just coming from the garden. It's the system of thought. You already know what the majority of folks believe. Here's what it is. Number one, I'm a good person and I like to help people. That's humanism. I'm a good person. I like to help people. Or how about this? I believe only what I see. Right? That's materialism. I'm only going to believe that stuff. Or how about this? I do what I want. I'm the final authority. No one can tell me what to do. And then it says here, it's according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Notice he says here, the prince, which is the ruler or the leader, we know this to be Satan. And he works of the power of the air of the spirit is a kind of phrase that's uh, describing Satan. And then he says, is now working in the sons of disobedience. He uses a phrase that typifies and characterizes a, a, a people. Those who do not know Christ are typified characterized by disobedience. The Bible says that they're disobedient. And it is ultimately caused by Satan's influence, his disobedience. Now, the gospel itself is, is not just an offer of salvation. It's actually a call to believe. In fact, in John chapter 3, he says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, you know you try and live your life the way you wanted to live your life. 
You didn't want anyone over you. You didn't want the Bible over you. You didn't want God over you. You didn't want anyone telling you what to do. In fact, whenever someone tried to bring something about the word of God, in your heart, you started to rile up. Why? Because there is something wrong with you, and it's from the fall. It is called, you are a son of disobedience. You're a son of disobedience. Now, God's love is seen in striking brightness in that he loved you and sent his son. Remember verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, I don't want you to forget that, okay? Because this is sounding kind of foul right now. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. That's not the end of the story, amen? 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 Amen. You guys are, there's coffee over there. You want coffee? You need to wake up, right? Amen, right? God's love is seen in striking brightness in that he loved you and sent his son despite the fact that you did wrong. Your sin was a lifestyle. You chose after, you did not choose after God. You did not pursue God. You did not want God. And even when you did the things that people desired of you, or even in the church, you didn't do it for the right motive. You did it so that you could appear holy. You did it so that you could appear religious or appear obedient to your parents. That's what the Bible is saying. That's why Brother Mike was reading, there is none who seek God. No, not even one. There's not even one unless God first works in your heart. Parents, you got to get on your face because this resurrection of your kids cannot come because you're a good person uh, mom or dad or because you're a great homeschooler or because you've got this formula figured out. There is this fear you cannot touch and it is the deadness of their soul. That can only be done by God himself and he has to raise them up. Your loved ones, your co-workers, this is where it all comes to a crux. Not only did you do wrong, you did wrong, but also... Number two, you were wrong. You were wrong. So the first one we talked about, sin as a lifestyle. This is how you make your choices. This is what you decide. But the second portion, this is not really taught, okay? This is sin of a, uh, this is the sin as a state of being. Sin as a state of being, okay? Notice in verse three, he says, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. That first one there, if you're following along, is common experience. Notice Paul says this. He changes from you, right? And then now he says, well, you know, I'm in there too. And he says, here's a common experience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. He says, we ourselves, the word there for we, he actually adds in the, uh, in the original language, he adds the uh, emphatic there. He's basically saying, we ourselves. And then he says, too, Paul includes himself, there is no Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no Christian who has not had a former self. Does that make sense? That's how I used to be. 
And in fact, if you don't have a former self, you've never seen Christ. Why? Because he rescues you from your former self and he changes you. Now we have different testimonies, absolutely. But you know there was some time, you may not know the date, you may not know the hour, you may know even as there was, uh, it happened sometime, what happened? That I used to be this way and now I'm this way. That's what Christianity is. You can never look down at folks as if you were better because we too all formerly lived this way. You see that? You can say, I was that drunk. I was that hypocrite. I was that sexual pervert. I was that drug addict. Or how about this? I was that self-religious, self-righteous religious churchgoer. Or I was that bitter and angry person. Or I was that prideful person. Or I was that rebellious son or daughter not doing my chores and making excuses when my parents called on me. Or I was that career-driven idolater giving everything up for my job because all I wanted to see is me succeed in my career. Or I was that adulterer. Or I was that cruel bully. Nothing in this world makes sense unless you understand this. Man is in bondage to his lusts. And this is why the news is the way it is today. You understand? This is how we see the world. Why does this happen? You know how people always say, how can this happen? I'll tell you why. I, the Bible always tells it. How can this happen in San Bernardino? I'll tell you why. Man is in bondage to sin. How can this happen, this shooting over here, and this killing over there? How can this happen? Man is in bondage to sin. Are you convinced yet? Are you convinced? Now, we have this common failure. Notice it says indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. The desires are will. And the flesh emphasizes here in this context is giving ourselves to whatever feels good. Whatever you feel like doing. Okay? Without restraint, without caring what God thinks of it. Okay? And the mind is, is making decisions against the mind of God. And what the Bible is saying here is in verse, um, notice this, in verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. The word there for lust is strong, strong desires. And we were enslaved, the Bible says, to whatever we wanted to do. We were enslaved to it. We're enslaved. This is why it riles up in yourself when someone tells you what to do. This is why it riles up in your heart when the Bible talks about your sin. Right? You were enslaved to that. And notice he says here, what's, what's astounding is that it's not just the sin of action. Do you understand? It begins inside. It starts inside. See, a lot of times when people talk about sin, they always talk about, oh, um, just lying and stealing and, well, you know, committing murder and all those things on the outside of what happens. But the Bible doesn't just talk about sin. That is a sin of action. That's simply the fruit. It's simply the fruit of what? It's simply the fruit of the lusts that lie within. 
the strong desires that lie within. In other words, what you see on the outside is a product of what's going on on the inside. And what happens is when there's temptation and when there's opportunity and when there's a time when you think you could get away with it, that's when the lust springs out into action, says James, and you commit the sin and then you give in to your lust, right? And the word there for lust is not just sexual lust, it's strong desire, okay? So it could be a strong desire to chew someone out and cuss them out on the road, you see. When someone... Uh, crosses you, you already have anger in your heart and someone crosses you and all of a sudden you give them the bird, right? Why? Because that anger now is tempted and there's opportunity and no one's watching and I'm going to give him full vent of my anger. And if I had a gun, I'd reach for it right now. Do you see? It comes from within. And you have to understand it. Mankind is bent, he is twisted, he is messed up from the fall. Jesus said this, okay? I'm going to read this to you. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. He was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles man. So they had the same kind of discussion. People were saying to Jesus, well, all that stuff that he's doing, that's what's making him evil. No, Jesus says, no, you got it wrong. Now let me finish the verse, okay? It says in verse 21, for from within. Why don't you go there with me? Mark chapter 7, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking, okay? And so you got to see this. It's from the inside. It's your essence. You're messed up. And that's why I celebrate that God has given me new passions. He's given me new desires. He's given me new will that actually thirsts for righteousness when I didn't want it before. Look at Mark chapter 7. Jesus says this, and he was saying in verse 20, he was saying that which proceeds out of the mouth, that is what defiles the man. For from within, here it comes, you see it? Verse 21, out of the heart of men. Where does it come from, Jesus? Where does it come from? He says it comes out of the heart. Proceed the evil thoughts, fornication thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Brothers and sisters, aren't you glad he rescued you from this? Aren't you glad? I destroy myself. You know, you're not going to be able to, if you don't know Christ, you're not going to be able to go to Christ and say, well, the reason why I sin that way is because my friend and he made me. My friend made me. No, you did it because you're a sinner. And when your friend did it, you wanted to do the same thing. You're not going to be able to say that to Christ. He goes on, which, uh, you know, I would say, I would think, okay, that's enough. But he goes on. Notice this common distortion. He says here, back in Ephesians chapter 2, unless, unless you don't understand it correctly, he wants you to have a full understanding of your nature. And he says here in verse 3, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and then he says what? 
and were what? By nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. Notice he doesn't say, and were by deeds. You got it. He doesn't say by actions or by thoughts. He says by what? By nature. And what he's talking about is the very fundamental basis of man. His heart, his mind, his will is twisted by sin. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. Notice he says here, verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You have a distorted mind. A distorted mind. Look at verse 18 and 19a. Because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous. So from verse 418 and 19a, you have a distorted heart. A distorted heart. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19b, it says, Having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, this shows that you have a distorted will. You give yourself over to the sin. You desire to do this. Now the problem is you, we justify ourselves, don't we say? We say, I'm not as bad as that murderer over there, or I'm not as bad as that person over there. But you're basing your judgment on how, how someone else is and not on the standard of who God is. God says, anytime you steal, anytime you lie, Anytime, it is a high offense to God himself. And that's why we need Christ. Amen? Amen? You guys almost done with this bad news? This kind of hurts. Right? Look at this physician's report. You guys see that? Let's keep going. Okay. Let's keep going some more. All right. So that we can leave it for a while, okay? Because I want to get to the verse 4, but, and we'll do that next week. But uh, we're going to end with Christ. Of course, we'll end with Christ. So don't worry, we're getting to Christ, okay? We're getting to Christ. But notice, here's the physician's report. Eight effects of Adam's fall. I took this from Steve. Man, apart from Christ, cannot see. You know, in John chapter 3. Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Man, apart from Christ, apart from Christ cannot understand. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14, Now the natural person does not accept what pertains to the Spirit of God, for to him it is foolishness, and he cannot understand it. Apart from Christ, man cannot hear. John 8, 43, Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. Apart from Christ, you cannot receive. It says, that, uh, verse uh, John chapter 14, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold or know him. Uh, next one is it cannot please. Man cannot please because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He cannot come. John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him on the dead. He cannot call. 
Remember in Matthew chapter 16, it was the Father who was in heaven who revealed this to Peter. He cannot believe, John chapter 12, verse 39. For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again. Brothers and sisters, this ought to amaze you. Because when you see yourself in this first section, you celebrate in verse 4. Amen? Amen? Where would you be? Where would you be? Where would you be without Christ? You'd be ruining yourself. You'd be in jail. You'd be bitter at someone all your life. Angry. Living your life in anger. Where would you be? He says in verse for but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, I would have ruined my life and you would have done it too. I just look at my own family. I look at where I came from, man. All I see is just brokenness. Brokenness. I got cousins. I got cousins who were arrested. I got family members who are drug addicts. I got all of that. And what brought, what was the difference? He made me alive. He had mercy on me. Oh, brothers and sisters, remember the goodness and the graciousness of Christ. You were dead in your sins. You were lost. And he had mercy on you. Praise the Lord if you were raised in a Christian home. Someone is sharing the gospel to you. You're born like this. You hate it. Oh, may God cause you to celebrate. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, because if it weren't for you, I'd be lost. Father, we just pray. I just pray, Father. We didn't want anything to do with you. We didn't want anything to do with you. We use your son's name as a curse word. We ignored the pleadings of our parents. And then you stepped in in our lives and miraculously and mercifully saved us. And you change us. Oh, oh God, if there are those who are here who don't know you, I can't read their hearts. I don't know them. If there are those who don't know you, save them, God. You've got to do your work by your spirit. You've got to make them alive. You've got to do the work. We are a people sharing the gospel to corpses around us. And it won't do any good unless your spirit moves. We are desperate. But we celebrate what you've done. You rescued us. You've rescued us. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.